0: This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Want to become the sort of developer top rail shops like ThoughtBot fight over? Join Upcase today to get the pro training, insider knowledge, access to ThoughtBot developers, and a community of like-minded learners you need. Hone core skills like Vim, Tmux, Git, and Rails by visiting upcase.com slash to get 50% off your first month of Upcase. Let's get that junior out of your title and start leveling up today with Upcase giant robots smashing into other giant robots hey
1: everybody you're listening to episode 170 of the giant robots smashing into other giant robots podcast i'm chad pytel and with me today are two folks who've just co-authored a book about design sprints C. todd lombardo from the inoloft at constant contact and trace wax from thoughtbot welcome to the show gentlemen
2: thank you it's nice to be here thanks
1: so, uh, you just published a book about design sprints, like I just said, and we talked about design sprints on this podcast way back in July of 2014, episode 106, which if, uh, you want to go back and take a listen to that, uh, you're more than welcome to. Um, so, but I don't want to take for granted that everybody knows who's listening knows what a design sprint even is. So, C Todd, why don't you give us the elevator pitch? description of what actually a design sprint is
2: Sure uh, a design sprint is a time box typically a 5 day session where are 5 individual days where you go through complete a full design cycle running through a series of exercises that get you to take your idea expand on it unpack it understand it understand what the problem is come up with some ideas, converge back down and bring those ideas uh, to life in a short product, small prototype and test those ideas with the actual people who would use this product. Mm-hmm. So it's a good way to get some validation on a direction you want a product to go in in a short period of time.
1: Yeah. And do you do it for just an individual piece of a product or a whole product?
2: Um, so here in the Loft, we've done it uh, actually a combination of both so Mm -hmm. it's been sometimes we've had situations where it's hey we need to think about social media in this way and we already have some social elements to our product so let's run through a design sprint to see if we can flesh that out a little further. So it might be a component of a larger product. Mm-hmm. I've also done them for, Hey, we want to kick off an entire new product direction or product area that could be, I've done those with the enterprise folks stuff at constant contact or with our startup teams here in the innovation loft. Sometimes with the startup teams, they tend to be more whole product focused. Uh, whereas the stuff at constant contact oftentimes is more about parts of products.
1: Cool. So, Trace, uh, we have at ThoughtBot been doing product design sprints for a couple years now, right? And we've done, I would say, over 100 uh, individual product design sprints. It's, we, we lose count uh, now. <laughs> so um, you've been doing product design sprints for a while. And, and what's your favorite thing about the design sprint as opposed to a traditional way of, of what we might have done in the past?
0: What I love about uh, design sprint and the the way that we're often able to to work in general is that so many features that you might choose to build and get really excited about don't resonate with users and the real jobs that they're trying to be accomplished and. So when you're able to go back to first principles and really observe them in the situation of what they need done and to conceive of the ideas that are going to have the greatest impact and to be flexible by using the, the right type of design exercises to, to get to that, it's really exciting to see you potentially end up someplace that you might not have even thought that you might have started. So my favorite part is where you actually invalidate some of your idea. Uh, Mm -hmm. There was a design sprint that we did early on where we were able to eliminate two-thirds of the scope of the project and really focus into what mattered most by realizing two-thirds of what we were excited about didn't matter to our users.
1: Right. Or at least not for the first version, right?
0: Yeah. And even for, for in that particular case, it was uh, we, were, we were working on something for commercial buildings. And uh, we went in thinking that they were all going to be like each other and they'd want to resemble each other. And we realized after speaking with them that that was never going to happen. Mm-hmm. But by comparing them to themselves, we were able to get a, a lot of efficiencies. And that was really exciting.
1: So in the book, um, you talk about, C-Todd, I think it was you, uh, had experience in the Interloft with a company called Phase One, which had yeah. a big invalidation as well.
2: Yeah, that was that was really interesting. They realized, uh, it wasn't really till after the design sprint, they realized they were essentially building the wrong product. Mm-hmm. They were going to market with a software-as-a-service product that pulled together a lot of different data, mostly real estate data, that would be served up to a set marketing teams for solar companies and HVAC companies. And so these solar and HVAC companies could take this data and determine where they would want to push their marketing efforts and marketing dollars. So it allowed those teams to better spend uh, their marketing efforts. So during that, they thought it would be a, a monthly SaaS business or maybe an annual SaaS business kind of product revenue for them. However, the design sprint proved that while they were right in the direction of, yes, the marketers at these types of companies wanted that data and information they didn't want it in a saas product what they wanted it was ultimately in a one-time report that might have been annually like hey give me my the report about this area you know this geographic area for the next or for the past 3 months or 6 months and that's all i want to pay for so it was much more of a they they turned to their business within a couple of weeks to being more of and market it, reporting market uh, serving up this data in reports rather than a software product where somebody could navigate uh, around. So it was a little bit more customized for the the end user, um, and they ultimately realized a huge revenue increase of about six or seven or eight eightfold in a matter of six weeks later. So it was it was really impressive to see the power of a design sprint happen right before my eyes within a, within two months after the design sprint they were. They had blown away their revenue goals.
1: So this is important because it it not only affected a huge change in the success of the company in terms of revenue, but they were on a path where they were going to spend significant development and design resources building a product. Correct. And they no longer needed to build that same product. They no longer needed to go and spend months or even longer developing something that ultimately no one would use or pay mm-hmm. for. And that's why we hit upon product design sprints and started doing them so aggressively at ThoughtBot because we've always strived to find the smallest possible thing we could build or, the thing, or eliminate the things we didn't need to build. And the design sprint is a mechanism for hitting upon that quickly. Um, and or validating that we are on the right path by talking to actual customers. And that's really valuable as well. Another thing that you talk about that I've seen really valuable and Trace touched upon it as well is consensus building. So we often are dealing with multiple founders um, or stakeholders who While they've agreed in principle, they think they've all agreed to what it is they're actually doing, the design sprint is a great mechanism for actually getting that all out in a consensus building kind of way where everyone arrives at the same conclusions as a group and
0: moves forward as a group.
1: Trace, do you have a good example of when we've seen that happen in the past?
0: Yeah, we did a design sprint for a nonprofit. And this was for a, a nonprofit called Character Lab that was teaching character strengths like grit and optimism and, and zeal to uh, K through 12 students. And it was a large design sprint. They had many stakeholders. Mm-hmm. They had the owners of the business, the people that were running the project, the design and technical team they had hired, and the people from the business itself were very passionate about what they were doing. And so the, the good news about the way that the design sprint process works is it democratizes getting these ideas out without a, a group think. There are a lot of individual exercises with a lot of sketching. Things are put on the wall. You might not even know who created which ideas. And by using uh, some stickers and some, some dot voting, the, the best ideas fall out almost as a, a, as a heat map of the most interesting ideas. And then when you do converging exercises to break into teams and to be, as we talk about in the book a bit, by being kind on people but tough on ideas, the best ideas can rise to the top and, and build a lot of consensus quickly.
2: And if I could add to that, one of the things I think is the thing that's going on here, it's been studied uh, a bit academically by um, some folks at Harvard, Mike Norton. He talks about it in a paper called The Ikea Effect. And one of the reasons why people love their Ikea furniture is because they spent some hard labor or micro labor putting it together. And when everybody puts the the output of a design sprint together as they go through this process together – they become more aligned. They become more invested in in what what they're doing because they're making those decisions together.
1: And every design sprint may have different exercises, but I, I find it refreshing or, or or even difficult sometimes. One of the exercises is to just draw out as many ideas as possible, and then you just discard them. Um, it's an individual exercise. It's crazy eights, or there's a couple other ways to do it, but and where you're just drawing sketches over and over and over again, getting all of your ideas out on paper. And then you discard them. You don't show them to anybody. You don't discuss them. It, it's And it's all just a process of getting the juices flowing, getting your ideas out. But another part of that is your idea was out. You got it out. <laughs> and it doesn't need to be discussed. Uh, it will come out later in the process or you'll have explored it and invalidated on your own, those kinds of things. And I find just even that process of it's not busy work. Busy work is the wrong word. It's very useful, but you don't need to discuss it. Everyone's getting what they want out of the process by being able to sketch their ideas down, even if ultimately they're discarded.
2: I think there's a thing around quantity begets quality. Mm-hmm. Um, in design school, some of the exercises that I've did, like you'd have to develop 100 concepts on something, and you just think, oh, my God, how am I going to develop 100? But the the fact that you have to just keep going and keep going keep going, some of the things you did on concept two or three end up showing up in concept 98 or 99, and that's totally okay even though they do look slightly different. I think it's that quantity of generation that happens. Um, the funny thing about you mentioned about people, you know, you don't have to discuss it. You feel like there might be something lost. One of the aspects of uh, a design sprint last week, a couple of the, the participants said, "Well, hey, we didn't discuss all the different things." In the in we call them six. I gave the six ups or eight ups, so I gave right. them six ups, just to give them a little a little less pressure and yeah. to force them to do eight. And they were, well, "We didn't talk about all of them. Why are we missing some ideas?" I said, "Don't worry, those will come out. The, mm-hmm. the important ones will come out in the final." sketches and wireframes once we get there. Though they're in the ether, they're on the walls, will actually, even if they, we may not have selected this particular one and moved it forward, it will still come forward if it's important.
0: Yeah, There's something about sketching, too, that engages the creative part of your brain that gets the ideas flowing. When you already have done the background and the investigation and, and developed empathy for the users and you have so much in your head, and then you put all of that aside, and it's just you and a blank piece of paper and a pen, just sketching as as quickly as many ideas as possible. It's almost like being in figure drawing class. There's just a a way that the ideas just flow naturally from that. Where uh, when we we were writing out uh, story cards and in previous jobs and previous kickoff type type of meetings, the ideas just didn't flow quite as quickly or as freely when you were doing things with writing. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. A lot of people I talk to about design sprints, uh, you know, we haven't gone through the specific five phases and, you know, what they are and everything. And maybe we should do that. But a lot of people, when we start talking about it and go through that, it's like, wow, it seems like this huge, complicated thing. And I have to continually remind people, actually, this is just one week that we're talking about. It's not this three-month-long discovery process that might contain all of these cra- these things. It's a hyper-accelerated, fairly lightweight process. And I need to continually remind people who haven't done it before that that's what it actually is. <laughs> and some sprints don't even need to last five days, right? You can You can condense it to just a few hours in some cases, right?
0: We had a sprint that we did where uh, the client had this um, amazing opportunity to sell to uh, a brand name client that would make or break his business. Mm -hmm. And he was about to leave for a trip. He was going to be out of the country and just wouldn't be available for days. But it was really important to get things kicked off. And we had three hours. And we had to figure out and we talked about this in, in the book a bit, like what were the most essential parts of the process, given that we only had three hours to try to converge and, and figure out what we needed to do and, and get the most initial validation. And we were able to, to do it and create a prototype that then was, was validated by the business. It was really exciting.
1: So um, how, did we get, how did you guys get to the, the process of doing the book? how did that come about?
2: That's a, that's a good question. Um, I think this started with Richard and I, uh, our other co-author Richard Banfield, we were on a bike ride discussing how we were just doing things at our organizations. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about what he called deep dives at threshold soil, which are essentially their versions of design sprints. Mm-hmm. Like we learned that there's number of different nomenclatures for it. I uh, just, even last week, um, I gave a talk to the Design Museum Boston uh, folks, and there was somebody in the audience who came up to me afterwards and said, Oh yeah, we call them design SWATs, S-W-A-T. So I've I've heard so many different names about them. Um, so we were on a bike ride chatting about this, and I said, Well, yeah, you know, aside from a handful of blog posts we've seen on the internet, there's no real formal resource about it. What if we just wrote a book about it? And Richard said, That sounds like a great instead of saying, Sea Todd, you're nuts, what are you thinking? (laughs) He said, "That's a great idea. Let's do it." So we went off and tried to mimic the design sprint process in our initial writing process and saying, "Okay, let's plan out." So we planned out four days at MC's house, and MC actually designed the book. He's the—he's the guy who did all the cover work and all the all the stuff you see inside the book.
1: Yeah, and for those who are, want to check out the book, the book is pretty. It's not a normal book. It's more like. Um... Well it's wide format, I guess, is the way to put it. There's lots of pictures, diagrams, drawings, and it's laid out really nicely.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm saying you did a great job. And we wrote it in a way to be very recipe like. So we give you the five course, you know, dinner and every little recipe in it. But if you just want to make the mashed potatoes from course three, you can just do that. Um, and we wanted to have the photos there as well, like sort of very recipe like. Uh, but anyway, so um, we did this sort of four-day writing sprint where we started off, well, who is the user, what's their problems, what might they be looking for, what are the things that we like in business books, what are the things we don't like in business books, how might this stand out. And then we did a table of context and, uh, and just wrote away for, for a few days, handed off a Google document to MC on Friday afternoon. And two hours later, he shows up and says, well, hey, what do you think of this? I just put this up in InDesign and our jaws hit the floor. And then I think the next week I was at Lean Enterprise in New York City and Trace and I, I think chatted for like I don't know it felt like 8 hours <laughs> but we just chatted for the next like 4 or 5 hours all about design sprints and then I said Trace you need to you need to be part of this and, and write this with us because he just brought a level of of depth expertise perspective that I felt like was missing from the existing text we had and I mean I think if you look at where we were and where we are now you'd see that the the evolution of the book to what it What it's become is really solid, and a lot of that's thanks to Trace being here, too.
0: Thanks a lot. And it was great to bring a a developer's perspective to the work as well. And part of of a design sprint is determining what's easy and what's hard and what's going to give you the the most value for the right amount of effort. So I was really glad to to bring that perspective and to get to work with uh, two such amazing designers as you and Richard. Thank you.
2: So we should probably talk a little bit about what is a design sprint and at least cover what is those five things. We gave the elevator pitch, but we really really dive deep into it. So maybe we should uh, let everyone know like, hey, here's what we've come up with.
0: Yeah, that would be great. (laughs) <laughs> Jake, you want to take you it away?.: for that one? <laughs> Sure. Well, a design sprint is a five-phase, typically five-day process designed to maximize the chances of building something that people want, by first doing a, a dive into the background. Really understanding what's come before, what things might be in other industries, but really be useful for what you're trying to do to develop empathy for the users by looking at all the research that's been done on them, seeing how they've used similar projects, making sure that you're able to speak with a couple of them and keep those humans in mind as you're doing the design and to really understand, you know, what their journey is today. Where are their greatest pains? Where are their opportunities? And to assemble that into things like a a challenge statement, a a table of assumptions, a uh, user journey map of their journey today. And then on the second day to— Well, let's
1: let's stick on uh, understand a little bit. So we call that day understand or that phase understand. That's right. And from our perspective at ThoughtBot, a lot of the customers— are also coming to us with something done, whether it's just a concept or sketches or the the thing. So for us, understand is has a double meaning. Like we're doing all of that background research together as a team, but it's also a opportunity for us to understand the client and the assumptions that they're making and the work that they've already done to understand their team and their dynamics and what they hope to accomplish and what their goals are so there's a lot of stuff that we seek to understand in that first phase and um we've actually started to expand that with a pre-research phase as well for specific industries where we just don't know enough about the industry or that kind of thing it's it is helpful to have a little bit uh, of upfront time, especially if we want to speak to users, it can take a little bit of time to organize them and not be able to talk to everybody in one day. So,
2: yeah, when we first started doing them here at Constant Contact three years ago, we would actually expand understand to over two days and we would mm-hmm. put Divergent Converge in the third day. Mm-hmm. Um, partly because that practice of really unpacking the problem and we would even go out of the building on Monday afternoon mm-hmm. or, or get on the phone and, and get the team to either meet with or speak directly with the end users. And sometimes we wouldn't necessarily learn anything than we already knew. But one of the things I found was that it just hits that empathy reset button and you can have that context to go talk, to to work with on the rest of the week. So oh, remember that conversation with Dana at that restaurant? And we could, that that would be really helpful for the rest of the mm-hmm. week in that. But yeah, we we've done the same thing as well in terms of expanding sometimes a pre like hey, what is all the research we have? So we'll go to our business analytics team and say, give us all the research you've got around this area and these are the top few questions we want to bring into the room mm-hmm. on Monday. Uh, so logistically,
1: for let's uh, for a design sprint, we get everybody in the same room. That's that's one thing that we do and then there's a facilitator and we try to have a facilitator as well as someone who's responsible for taking notes. Mm. Do you do something similar?
2: Very similar, uh, although our, typically our facilitator is often the person who's capturing a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, we try to make a uh, pretty dedicated effort to create little artifacts that so we use tons of post-it notes right. and tons of paper and uh, lots of different size post-it notes so that most things are done in an analog fashion. That also helps keep keep the laptops closed and, and iPhones, um, off the table so that people are either engaging with each other or engaging with, uh, the, the being and the post-it so that we have these snapshots throughout the week. And we just take a lot of photos of, right. of everything. So our facilitator typically is our recorder mm-hmm. for most, uh, in most cases. Yeah.
1: And so trace, you mentioned assumptions that we're trying to identify assumptions. Can you, can you elaborate a little bit on what we mean when we say assumptions?
0: Well, uh, for any effort, there are the things that you know, and the things that you think you know, but you're not sure, and the things that you don't know, and the assumptions are the things that you think you know, but you're not sure, and or you, need or to you find out. are wrong.
1: Uh, you know, sometimes <laughs> we identify. Okay, you're making that assumption. What, do, what proof do we have of that? And. Part of the sprint may be to seek the proof out.
0: Yeah, there's so many things that you think are facts, and they're really assumptions. And Mm -hmm. so when we review the assumptions, we like to determine how might we test that assumption and how might that assumption be validated. And so when we write down the assumptions, we write that down as well and start planning our test even before we've begun the work on the prototype.
1: Okay, so next phase...
2: Diverge. Right. Um, This is, this is a fun phase because it's all about just generating ideas and generating ideas. And I mentioned earlier about, you know, coming up with a hundred concepts in design school. It's a similar kind of thing. And I think we talked a little bit of six ups and eight ups or crazy eights, they're often called are uh, a great tool for that day to just continually generate on the ideas. So once you've understood and unpacked and said, okay, we get a good sense of who, who we're solving the problem for, who, what the problem is who we're solving that problem for, and the context of that situation, then we'll try to generate ideas. And that's the overarching theme for that. Um, I often kick them off with job stories. It's that combination of the job-to-be-done framework that Clay Christensen uh, has and the user story element, which often works very well with um, Agile. Uh, That mashup, I think, that Alan Clement put together is is a great tool. And so we'll, we'll sort of look at the journey map and say, okay, what are the job stories based on this journey map? And we come up with a whole bunch of those. From there, we we actually I, I'll assign job stories to sub teams, and I say, like, "Can you guys work on this job story and create?" We'll go do a couple rounds of six ups or eight ups on that job story, and have another team do that. And then we're sort of mashing them all up by the end of the day, saying, "Okay, here's what we've done," uh-huh. and we have just probably hundreds of ideas by the end of the day. To yeah, try to so solve six ups problem. and
1: eight ups are where where you just fold the paper into six panels or eight panels. And so you're just drawing very small, lightweight sketches. You know, six at a time, eight at a time, with a time limit yeah. um, for those for those who haven't. Yeah, done sometimes
2: that I do the six ups with teams that are a little might be a little timid. Mm-hmm. If I say eight ideas in five minutes, they they sometimes freak out and say, "Okay, well, let's do six." And they they they, they, they relax a little bit and say, "All right." All right. Um, it, it's kind of interesting. I've I've tried not to push them too hard because then then you get the deer in the headlights where they mm-hmm. just don't write anything down mm-hmm. so you got to figure out the right balance what works for the team uh, yeah. but more advanced teams that i know have done this a number of times i can say no we're doing eight ups. so you guys can do this <laughs> okay so
0: then after diverge so the, the next step is to converge and this is where you take that large range of ideas that you've uh, diverged on. You start to make some decisions. You can uh, look at the range of ideas and look at some of the, the conflicts between them when there are conflicting approaches. And the differences between those ideas can be very interesting and, and trigger other ideas. And mm-hmm. these are the some some of the things that you need to resolve that can can make some good right. uh, good discussions. I
1: want to clarify what are, what are you trying to converge upon? Are you trying to converge upon what the full product is going to be or what the prototype is going to be?
0: Well, what you want to converge upon is really what your riskiest assumptions are mm-hmm. that you want to test. And what sort of artifact is going to be the minimal useful artifact to validate or invalidate those assumptions? Right. And so as, as such, you're really just looking at, you know, what's going to be built in a day, let alone, you know, what's to come. Right. And uh, the ideas that you're creating can really inform what might come later. The validation or invalidation that you get can really help inform what it might take to do the rest of the project. And is it a small project or is it a big project and really help with your planning, really help with uh, the. The team coming together. But the artifact that you want at the end of the converge day is a set of wireframes that will map out what you want to prototype, as well as a, a test plan for how you're going to use that to validate or invalidate your assumptions.
1: So I have a pretty decent example of something in a recent sprint that, that we did, where we ex- expected that the primary users would be business people. And so we wanted to determine whether those people would use LinkedIn and connect with LinkedIn primarily. And so that came up in, you know, assumptions and we decided we made you make decisions for the prototype to specifically invalidate or validate that assumption. So for example, we ended up saying this is a big enough assumption and we need to know whether people will do it or not. Let's prioritize that the prototype will have you know, email login and LinkedIn login and see how people what people use. And then when we tested the prototype, nobody clicked LinkedIn. That's great because we didn't build LinkedIn. <laughs> it was just to see whether people would use it because it's just a clickable prototype. And so now we know for that product that we don't need to build uh LinkedIn. And we asked them why did you not use LinkedIn? And people try to separate It was a primarily social application, even though they were business people. And so they they answered, you know, uh, I want to keep those things separate, my personal social life and my business life, which is totally reasonable. And we were able to validate that or, I guess, in this case, invalidate
2: that. Yeah, we often call the what we build on. Uh, the build day is a minimum, MVCs minimum viable concept. Now I know some of the developers who might listen to this might chuckle because that's model view controller. Um, (laughs) But uh, we do that partly because it's, it's been a, a nomenclature that tends to, to work well and describe it well enough so that people don't think we're coming out of the, out of the week with an actual prototype product that could, could be, launched into production right. now maybe in very rare cases that might be true but oftentimes it's we want to make sure conceptually we're going in the right direction from the design direction and the, the features and product and and does it solve this need in, in a way that makes people's eyes you know the, the pupils dilate and they go yeah they're really excited right. about that i can do this oh i didn't know that's great so that that kind of thing we we has been really helpful for us
1: and when you're working on um when you're doing a sprint for a subset of features you may do It may even go further. I've seen it go where you're prototyping something with the sole purpose of validating or invalidating one behavior. And, you know, it's not at all what you're going to build, but you want to validate that behavior. So you want to maybe you want to determine whether a specific kind of user will behave in a certain way when put in a certain situation. So you build a prototype specifically for that uh, to test that. Um, we had that when we wanted to identify whether people who were sports nuts would enter in a lot of statistical data if we asked them to do it. So we just had a prototype that that was all that it was. And it was a prototype that was devised where it was a almost never ending, a very long series of steps where you enter in a little bit of data. And when you do that, then we ask for more. And when you do that, we ask for even more And what we found was that the people who get to like step two or three will go through like all 10 steps of entering data. So if you didn't, if you bailed, then you were the kind of person who wouldn't do it. But we found that almost everyone who went to step three would then go through the rest of the steps of increasingly uh, having to enter more and more data.
2: I think sometimes being, doing design sprints and newest type of work, like you just become like sociologists and anthropologists and mm-hmm. studying human behavior. It's, right. it's fascinating. It's one of the things that I love about it.
1: So we've, we've talked about prototyping that comes after the converging. And so once we have the prototype, that brings us to the final phase, right?
2: Yeah. So, so this is where the rubber hits the road and this is where you can see if all the work you've done, if those assumptions that you've called out uh, are right or wrong. And, um, we, I often stack rank the assumptions, do a a sorting exercise to make sure we have the most critical assumptions identified at the top of the list. And, uh, you know, we look for between five and 10 users to try and test with that preferably in person is the ideal, but that isn't always feasible. So sometimes we do a lot of webinars, uh, sort of go to meeting is our tool of choice and we'll just record the webinar. So people aren't in the room can see it, but we do like to have the whole team there to watch. One of the things that I've learned about the test day as if there's anybody in the organization in an enterprise, sometimes the people look at this and be like, what do I want to do this for? That might be skeptical about, yeah. is this time worth it? Is this a good investment of, let's say, you know, eight people's time for five days. That can actually be a very expensive proposition depending on what organization you're at. Uh, this is when their eyes can go, oh, that's mm-hmm. why. Yeah, I'm really glad we did this. That's when they, they get converted to the other side, so to speak. That's when they come to the dark side and, and see the value of this. We only spent a week, but we learned that we were wrong or we learned that this was actually the right thing. And, uh, or we were. what usually happens is you're right about a couple of things and you're wrong about a couple of things. Right. And they're they're usually equ- roughly equally important. Like, oh, we were totally right about this thing, but man, nobody clicked this button. Like you, had the LinkedIn button mm-hmm. gave example of. We had this one thing with contextual help that we were trying out a couple months ago, and while somebody was crafting their email subject line, I think you know, could some contextual help pop up to give them some coaching on how to craft a better subject line in terms of doing some analysis of the text people just ignored it completely. Mm-hmm. They just didn't even pay attention to it. And we dug into understanding why as a lot of people thought they were like advertisements because they were showing the design choices we made, they showed up on the side almost like a sidebar, and so it just people weren't looking at it and thinking that it was coaching from the product. They were looking at it as, oh, this you're trying to sell me something else. So, things like that are what you can learn during test day, which is which is kind of fun and awesome. And then you do the retrospective and and you can see, okay, what do we learn? uh, I usually do a, I'll get a couple of green and and red markers and, okay, assumption, check or or red X, you know, what do we, yes or no? Um, Or do I put a big question mark next to it? And we just go down each assumption um, during the retrospective and and see did, how how close were we, how off were we, and then what's the next steps?
1: And actually from those next steps for, for ThoughtBot Trace, What are a lot of those next steps for the sprints we do?
0: So after a design sprint, it positions you really well to start the project. And many design sprints have a lot of validation. There are things that you know that you need to do. And moreover, you know how important they are. And you're able to prioritize a lot better by understanding that importance to the users. So you can rally the team together and create a, a backlog of these jobs to be done stories. And for the things that re- you got the validation on, you're really ready to proceed. And that gives the developers something to work on as they're starting the project. And meanwhile, the designers involved can look at the things that were invalidated. And if those are still really important jobs to be done, but they just weren't being done right, we can do some design challenges or iterations. I think you call them jump starts. Uh, where you can do a, a mini design sprint iteration. And you can just prototype some isolated things for particular assumptions and then get back with users that next initial week of the project to validate or invalidate those. So as you start to come into, for example, the third week of a project, you're feeling like you have a, a decent map to proceed on where you can meet with users every week and and keep designing and, and building an integrated iteration until you get to the point, you know, perhaps a couple months into the project where you're looking at a next set of features, jobs to be done and assumptions, and you can repeat the process with another design sprint.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that job sprint is really powerful for us. It's it's often works when you have the, uh, there's still questions. Yeah. Like we've learned some things and there's still questions, so we do a couple of those and, it's kind of like the, the lean startup, build, measure, learn, wash uh-huh. cycle. Uh-huh. And we've just, again, nomenclature sometimes is everything. It just it helps spread the word around here internally, and it seems to have, have resonated well with people. So call them what you like, but that seems to be how we phrase it here.
1: Awesome. Uh, well, I think the book is a valuable tool for people – Wanting to, who are doing design sprints or who want to start doing them. Don't be intimidated. They're more lightweight than you think. <laughs> uh, what's the best way for people to get the book right now?
2: Uh, I think OReilly.com, you can find it there. Mm-hmm. I think you can find it on Amazon, too. I think that, so kind of either either place, whatever works for you. It's both in hardcover and in digital. Yeah. And digital can come in a variety of formats, um, but the, not hardcover, sorry, it's a soft cover. Right. We actually wanted it to be uh, a little bit different, like something that's left on a table in yeah. a workroom that people could flip through and earmark it and, and oh yeah, this is the exercise I need to come back and, and just yeah. read up on the recipe for, or I can flip open and see, yeah, this is, uh, the page. Actually, when we were doing the interviews last week, two guys were in the design room that hadn't been in one before. I opened up the page they were, uh, working on structuring the interview. So I just opened the page up. I said, put a little marker, and I said, "Here, mm-hmm. you guys read this and work on this while me and the designer go finish the rest of the prototype." And that's kind of how our Thursday was. It's kind of kind of nice to have that artifact there. Yeah,
1: that's awesome. Uh, so we'll link up the book in the show notes, which you can find at GiantRobots.fm/170, which is the episode number of this episode. And actually, we have a design podcast as well called Tentative, and. Uh, episode six of that, Kyle and Retta, the hosts, talked in detail about the tools they use for prototyping in the design sprints. Um, so if you found this conversation inter- interesting, you probably definitely want to check out that episode. It's That's at tentative.fm slash six, and we'll link that in the show notes as well. What's the best way if people want to get in touch with you, C Todd? What's the best way they
2: can do that? Um, probably the easiest way is on Twitter. I am C Todd. I-A-M-C-T-O-D-D. Um, or you can email me hi h i at c todd dot com. Um, those are the pretty quickest and easiest ways to to find me. So I'm happy to to chat about them. We also use the hashtag Design Sprint. Um, usually Richard and I are kind of Richard and I are tri- Twitter holics, so we'll we're usually monitoring things like that. So if I see something come across, I'll I'll certainly um, post something interesting to that hashtag as well.
0: And Trace, what about you? Uh, So I'm Trace D. Wax on Twitter. Uh, D is in David. And you can also email me at Trace at ThoughtBot.com.
1: That's great. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Chad. It's been an honor to be here. Thank you for, for the chat. It's always a pleasure.
1: Show notes for this episode can be found at giantrobots.fm slash 170. This episode was recorded and produced by Tom Obarski, and I'm Chad Pytel. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.